That's James chapter 4, starting from verse 13. Come now, you who say, today or tomorrow, we will go into such and such a town and spend a year there and trade and make a profit. Yet you do not know what tomorrow will bring. What is your life? For you are a mist that appears for a little time and then vanishes. Instead, you ought to say, if the Lord wills, we will live and do this or that. As it is, you boast in your arrogance. All such boasting is evil. So whoever knows the right thing to do and fails to do it, for him it is sin. Well, it is that time of the year when we reflect on the past and, and think of the future. Today's newspapers are telling us how to plan to get our finances in shape in 2024, uh, where to go on holiday next year, what to wear to be a style guru, or you could just look at me, um, and uh, who's going to get relegated from the Premier League. In reviews, we were told that last year wasn't all bad, which of course means it really was very bad. Uh, with just a few bright spots if you look hard enough. And the business section is telling us how we can invest wisely. Now, never mind the advice of the newspapers. Uh, some of us have already set our goals and are, are planning to get fitter and eat healthier and live wiser. I'm planning to run the Brighton Half Marathon at the end of February with my brother. Two old guys, combined age of 126. What on earth could go wrong? Now, many have far more important plans for 2024. I know people who are getting married next year others starting new jobs, some moving houses. And then there's other of us who have no plans whatsoever. I was um, talking to a friend uh, just last week and I said, what, what have you got coming up in 2024? He said, oh, I'm not a planner. I just roll with it. I would so love to be someone like that, you know, someone who just goes with the flow. Well, look, whether you're the planning type or not, as we head into this new year, with all its challenges and opportunities, These verses at the end of James chapter 4 should shape the way we think about planning for the year ahead. Look with me again at James 4 and verse 13. Uh, James writes, Come now, you who say today or tomorrow we will go into such and such a town and spend a year there and trade and make a profit. Yet you do not know what tomorrow will bring. What is your life for your amidst? That appears for a little time and then vanishes. Instead, you ought to say, if the Lord wills, we will live and do this or that. (laughs) I imagine, as I read that, the laid back people here, the non-planners, those who just go with the flow, I imagine you were feeling very pleased with yourselves. You always knew that taking life as it comes is the best way to live. And now you have a Bible text to prove that your uptight planning friends have a fundamental flaw in their approach to life. Well, let me just caution you to hold on. It's not really that clear. That said, this really is a challenge to those of us who are planners, people who, like me, love to have everything mapped out. This is a call for humble planning. That's the uh, the first point on that outline if you're uh, following along. Now, look, there's there's an alarming lack of humility in that statement in verse 13. Look at it again. Today or tomorrow, we'll go into such and such a town and spend a year there and trade and make a profit. It's a very presumptuous sentence, full of pride. But I imagine we've all met people who talk like this. And if we're honest, we've probably caught ourselves talking like this also. I mean, I do making my plans without any reference to the Lord. Um, I'm going to run a half marathon in February, really? All it takes is a pulled muscle and... 
Of course, there are some who seem to plan on steroids, people who ooze self-assured confidence as they tell you everything they're going to do and achieve. The self-assured city worker, the uber-confident student, or the regular guy down the pub who's just rather full of himself, having downed a pint or two too many. Ask them this evening about their plans for 2024, and the self-assured city worker will tell you all the deals he has lined up for 2024. The uber-confident student will lay out how his glittering career is going to develop in the years ahead. And the guy who's had a few too many, well, you'd do well not to ask him to, uh, to get onto the subject because he'll wax lyrical all night about everything he's achieved in the past, what a great guy he is, and how he's going to smash it in 2024. When guys like him speak, you know it's all bluster. But there are people who have big plans and then they do achieve them. The self-assured city worker not only tells you about all the deals he has lined up next year, but then lo and behold, he delivers. Uh, closing multiple deals and having a spectacularly lucrative first quarter of the new year. I can think of confident students who've not only told me of their career plans, but then as the years roll by, they've gone on to succeed, exceed even their own very high expectations. Many people do plan and then achieve. Just take a look at the New Year's Honours list. It includes entrepreneurs who've had, who had, who've had an idea, then persuaded someone to financially back them, and in no time they've become fabulously wealthy, having launched a brand that has revolutionised their sector. And you see, that is verse 13. Today or tomorrow we'll go into such and such a town and spend a year there and trade and make a profit, and they do make a profit. And so it's not hard to imagine entrepreneurs like that heading into this next year with yet more plans to make yet more money. But James says, you make these plans, yet, verse 14, you do not know what tomorrow will bring. So in the first year of January, a young enterprising business owner secures a staggering order from a multinational with retail outlets in the US, Europe and Asia, but then the day before his huge order is to be shipped out, there's a massive fire in the warehouse and he loses everything, including the confidence of his customers and his major investors, and his business never recovers. Or the young lawyer, brilliant in her field, highly respected. Everybody believes she had a fabulous career ahead of her. But next week she gets a call from the GP uh, with news that her routine blood tests have revealed something very sinister. And suddenly, never mind her career path, her whole life has been changed forever. Or the ambitious banker who's just secured a promotion and can't wait to start the new year, driving his Mercedes on his way back from Birmingham, having visited his elderly aunt, and there's a multi-car pile-up on the M1, and his wife is left planning the funeral. See, that's verse 14. We don't know what tomorrow will bring. We've no idea what's round the corner. So making our plans on the, nation, on the notion that we are the captains of our own destiny is really very foolish. But it's very easy to live like that because that attitude is drummed into us from a very young age. When our children were in primary school, they were encouraged to follow their dreams, taught that they could do whatever they wanted to do, be whatever they wanted to be. We tell people, the world's your oyster. You can achieve anything you want if you put your mind to it, we say. It's an attitude that is ingrained in the British psyche. I know you're not all British, but those of you who are, you'll know this kind of thing. Think of the poem Invictus, penned by the Victorian poet William Ernest Henley. 
It's a celebration of Victorian stoicism, of self-discipline and fortitude in adversity. It encapsulates the British stiff upper lip. We can overcome anything, whatever life throws at us. And you know the last two lines of the poem, uh, Invictus? I am the master of my fate. I am the captain of my soul. The proud British bulldog spirit says, nothing's going to stop me. But a humble biblical spirituality says, verse 14, you are a mist that appears for a little time and then vanishes. And while we might be quite taken by the spirit of Invictus and Henley's never-say-die attitude, please, let's be honest, it's a world of make-believe, that, that, that way of thinking. It's simply not true that we can be whatever we want to be. I'd have loved to have been a professional sportsman. I simply wasn't good enough. And while many people do overcome huge adversity, we are finite and we simply can't overcome everything. Something always gets us in the end. And sadly, some of you will know that all too painfully. And so while the world tells us that the sky is the limit, the Bible tells us the truth. I might not like it, but verse 14 is reality for us all. We are a mist that appears for a little time and then vanishes. It's a brilliant image, the mist. When I used to live in a little market town in Hertfordshire, I'd often wake up on a Saturday morning, open the curtains, look out of the window, and dense fog would stop me from seeing more than 10 metres ahead of me. Uh, So resigned to a lazy day, reading my book in front of the fire, I'd go and have a nice hot shower, and by the time I'd dried myself and got dressed, I'd look out of the window again, and lo and behold, clear blue sky, the sun shining, I could see for miles. The fog had lifted. It was, it was as if it was never there. That's the second half of verse 14. The mist appears for a little time and then vanishes. And the shock of verse 14 is that so do we. Vanish after a short time. We're just like the mist, says James. Our lives disappear as quickly as that. Or to give you another picture, we're like the fireworks that will light up the sky later tonight. You know, in a few hours' time, all over the country, at 10 seconds to midnight, millions of people will join in the great countdown to mark the arrival of the new year. 10, 9, 8, 7. And as Big Ben strikes midnight, fireworks will light up the sky. What a sight. We'll look up into the night sky and we'll, ooh, and ah. They're beautiful. They're spectacular. But dazzling as they are, they only last a moment. And then there's a haze of smoke in the sky and we turn to our loved one and we say, Happy New Year, darling. And then we look up again and nothing. No fireworks, not even the sign of the smoke. That's what our lives are like, says James. Sometimes quite spectacular, often beautiful. Some even achieve things that make others ooh and ah. But at the end of the day, our lives are fleeting, gone in a moment like a mist. And when you've got grey hair like me and are the wrong side of 60, let me tell you, you really feel the bite of these words. I can't believe where the last 40 years have gone. And so James says, here we are, so full of ourselves and so full of our grand plans for the future, so believing that we can achieve our dreams. But in reality, in a moment, we're gone and so are our plans. And so rather than confidently making grand plans, James writes, verse 15, You ought to say, if the Lord wills, we will live and do this or that. Now, let's be clear here. James is not against planning. 
This is not a verse for all of you who've, uh, who just like to go with the flow. James is not against planning, but he's against an arrogant, self-confident attitude that acts as if I'm the master of my destiny and the captain of my soul. He's warning us here against an approach to life that makes plans without acknowledging that God is the sovereign Lord of all. James is exposing an attitude in planning that doesn't submit to the Lord's good and gracious rule, the the very thing we've been thinking about all service. In short, James is against, verse 16, arrogant boasting, which he says, you'll see, is evil. It's actually what he's been saying in the verses before. He's been urging us to be humble. Look back to verse 6, halfway through the verse. God opposes the proud but gives grace to the humble. Submit yourselves, therefore, to God. And verse two, uh, verse 10, humble yourselves before the Lord, and he will exalt you. James is warning against proud, arrogant, boasting, verse 16. In 2024, I'm going to... End of verse 16, all such boasting is evil. Because to live like that is to ignore God, to push him out, to live independently of him. And at its heart, it is the first sin of Adam. Pride, which comes before a fall. So as we head into 2024, James is not against planning, but he is urging us to plan humbly, to acknowledge that we're frail, to, as it says in verse 7, submit ourselves to God. Oh, in 2024, I'd love to, but, but only if the Lord wills. Now, look, I don't think this means that we have to caveat everything with the words, if the Lord wills. But it does mean having an an attitude and approach to life and all our plans that acknowledges that we are finite creatures and that God is in control and not us. And if we think like that, it'll change our whole demeanor. Chase away arrogant self-confidence. So first, plan humbly, but there's more. From humble planning to second on the handout, godly planning. You'll please to know this is a much shorter point. Now look again at verse 13 and see that the problem here is not just how people plan, but what they plan for. See verse 13, come now, you who say today or tomorrow, we'll go into such and such a town and spend a year there and trade and make a profit. James is addressing people whose focus is all about making money. Of course, we meet people like this all all the time, and not least of all here in the city. People whose whole lives are about wealth creation, and not just because they, they work for one of the large financial institutions, but because for them, that is what life's all about. Life is about making money in order to buy stuff or enjoy life or whatever. We're surrounded by people like this, but the shock here is that James is writing to Christians. The first verse of the letter suggests that James is writing to Jewish Christians scattered around the world. So the surprise is that James has to write this to people who call themselves Christians, Christians whose lives are shaped by making money. It's it's an oxymoron. And yet, it's not surprising that James has to write like this. Because if we're honest, most of us are tempted by wealth. Most of us, if we're really honest, would love to have more money or lots of money to buy lots of things and enjoy the lovely things of this world, wouldn't we? If we're honest. Whenever I've enjoyed the finer things of life, I've found myself wanting more. 
Years back, I was upgraded to a first-class seat on a long-haul flight. Since then, every flight I've taken, as I boarded the plane, I found myself looking longingly through the curtain into first class and coveting the comfort of the huge reclining leather seats. I would love to have enough money to be able to afford first-class travel whenever I went anywhere. Some years ago, um, a generous friend gave Caroline and I a Christmas gift of a voucher to eat at the Sugar Club in London's West End. It was eye-wateringly expensive, but it was the most delicious meal I've ever eaten. And honestly, I'd love to be able to afford to take Caroline to a restaurant like that regularly. On our honeymoon, Caroline and I were upgraded to enjoy a fabulous honeymoon suite in a swanky hotel in, in Singapore. I could get used to living like that. And I'd like to wear quality clothes, drive a fancy car and live in a big house. Look, look, my point is simple. Once we've tasted the finer things of life, it's very easy to want more. And so it's very tempting to want to make money. Uh, Look, the first verse of this book tells us that James is writing to God's people who were dispersed, scattered all over the world. And being dispersed throughout the world, it's very easy to become immersed in the world and then very tempting to want to live like the world. And so it seems that some of the Christians that James was writing to had become completely sucked into a life of wealth creation. (laughs) So picture James at a New Year's Eve party on the 31st of December, AD 41. He's got a glass of uh, orange juice in one hand, and uh, the other hand he's dipping into the peanuts on his side. And there's a soft beat of music playing in the background and James is standing with a group of friends from his church. And James asks his friends, so so what are your plans for the new year? And one guy leaps in, oh, I'm so excited about the year ahead. In January, I'm heading to Corinth. I've just landed a fantastic new contract with a trading company. You won't believe how much money they're paying me. I'm going to have a blast, travel as much as I can, live life to the full, eat in the best restaurants. You know, over the next few years, I'm going to make enough money to set me up for life. And by the end of AD 44, I won't have a financial worry in the world. That's verse 13. Christians making plans to make money. You see, this verse is not just that they were making plans without any thought that God was sovereignly ruling over things. But the plans they were making were all about this life. Listen to them speak and their plans for the year ahead and they they didn't sound any different to anyone else who wasn't a Christian. Jesus and the things of eternity don't really seem to make any difference to the way they live. Uh, Now, you see, that's what James is concerned about. Look on to chapter 5, verse 1 where James continues to speak to the wealthy. Verse 1, come now, you rich, weep and howl for the miseries that are coming upon you. And look at verse 5 of chapter 5, you have lived on the earth in luxury and in self-indulgence. You have fattened your hearts in a day of slaughter. James is speaking to people who call themselves Christians and are fully involved in the church, but who are living as if this life is all there is, with no thought about eternity. James actually calls them double-minded. If you want to take notes, you can chase it up later. Chapter 1, verse 8, and chapter 4, verse 8. They're double-minded because on the one hand, they say they're Christians, but they live the lives they live say something else. And so, verse 5 of chapter 5, they're fattening themselves for the day of slaughter. They're like Christmas turkeys in November, gorging themselves on everything they can eat, but in the processes, preparing themselves for the butcher and the, and the, and the Christmas table. 
And James says here, if your life is just about making money, beware. You may not be saved. Not because we are saved by our works, but because, as James says throughout the letter, the way we live and what we live for is a great barometer of the genuineness of our faith. So do you see at the end of chapter 4, James is not just encouraging us to commit our plans to the Lord. He's urging us to have godly plans. Plans that are in line with God's view of the world. Plans that have eternity in mind. Plans that involve telling people about Jesus and helping other Christians grow and become established in their faith. So as we begin to draw near, to draw to a close, come back with me to that New Year's Eve party on AD 41 with James and his friends from the church. And as James asks his friends what their plans they have for the year ahead, uh, we've heard from one of, one of his friends, and now another friend humbly says, well, I don't have any great plans for the year ahead. I'm just going to ask the Lord to enable me to spend more time with my colleagues so that I can tell them about Jesus. And I'm going to commit to getting to know Jesus and his word better so that I can be more helpful in helping Christians grow and unbelievers become Christians. Oh, I'm going to go to bed a bit earlier every night just so that I can get up a bit earlier every day so that I can read my Bible for a bit longer and say my prayers. Doesn't sound quite very spectacular, but that's the way to plan for the new year. Making plans, but humbly submitting them to God. Making plans, but ensuring that they are plans that honour and exalt Jesus. Making plans that really will make a difference. Planning to live in a way so that when we're gone, like the mist, our life's work will be solid and last into eternity. That's the way to have a truly prosperous new year. So let me wish you a very happy new year, all of you. Let's pray together. Now, Father, if um, uh, the others before me are anything like me, we need to ask your forgiveness for the times when we've planned without you in mind, never wondering what your will is. And if the others before me are like me, we need to ask your forgiveness uh, that our plans are so often uh, just about this world and don't look very different to anybody else's plans who aren't Christians. We pray, pray rather that having looked at these verses, that as we think about this new year and all the opportunities ahead, we might be those who commit our plans to you, your will be done, and that we would be those who have plans that are godly in line with your great purposes. And we pray all this for your praise and glory. Amen.